Good morning, everyone. It's a delight for Meryl and me to be back here with you. This is our mother church, and for me, there could be no better place to talk about the Bible because so much of the way that I respond to this amazing book was shaped and nuanced here among you. Though I do feel slightly redundant, I think Lizzie has more or less covered all the ground already this morning. But the first thing I want to say is the Bible is extraordinary. It's an absolutely fantastic doorstop. When we lived in London, we had one of those self-closing doors and our Victorian family Bible was a godsend. Cheap joke. The Bible is my favorite book in the world. I've been blessed by it, shamed by it, inspired and repressed by it, haunted by it pretty much my whole life. It contains ineffable depth and beauty, but also very effable violence and cruelty. It has some of the best lines and the best stories ever written. Uh, the philosopher Jean-Paul Ricoeur rightly says that the Bible contains what he calls a surplus of meaning so that we're able to read the same passage again and again and receive from it each time something distinct and fresh. I can't begin to do justice in this short space of time to it all. But much as I adore the Bible, we've not always been in love and there has been a trial separation a time when we realized that we're not good for one another. It's taken tears and quite a lot of talking therapy, but while our relationship is still evolving, I believe that we now understand one another a great deal better. As some of you know, I grew up in a Protestant denomination called the Christian or Plymouth Brethren. For us, the Bible was everything. We even had a chorus about it that we sang in Sunday school, uh, which uh, Justin is going to help me with. Oh, the best book to read is the Bible. The best book to read is the Bible. If you read it every day, it will help you on your way. Oh, the best book to read is the Bible. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the Brethren was run by men, just men, who were mostly theologically self-taught and knew their Bibles inside out. Uh, the Bible was our compass, our reference point. Every word, uh, every turn of phrase was poured over for guidance about the nature of God and the times in which we lived. The Bible was more than our sacred text. It was a kind of icon the holier, more dedicated Christian you were, the larger, the more well-thumbed, the better annotated was your Bible. We travelled to Wellington Road Gospel Hall, a tin tabernacle in Hounslow, three times a day on the 657 trolley bus, brandishing our Bibles ostentatiously. Well, Mum and Dad did. I had mine in my jacket until my mum accused me of being ashamed of the Lord. Busted. For us, the Bible was the inerrant word of God. The Bible was our idol. It was a physical representation of God. We quoted militantly the words found in Paul's second letter to Timothy, 
all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. I believed this or something like it for almost the first half of my life. I believed that this was God's book which told me who I was. You won't be surprised that I don't think that anymore, which raises questions like why and what's the alternative? Well, let's look at what the Bible is for and what it isn't. For a start, it's not a book. Back in the day, we saw it as a kind of monolith, something delivered by God like tablets of stone, but it's not a single work. It's a library or an anthology, which includes history, poetry, songs, allegorical tales, prophecy, visions, letters, biography. There's a multiplicity of genres and a multiplicity of authors, as we heard. The books of the Old Testament were gathered over maybe 800 years, probably incorporating earlier written texts and orally transmitted folk memories. The bulk of it comes from a core period of the 6th and 5th centuries BC, much of it put together when the Israelites were in exile in Babylon, having been torn from their promised land by the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So the Hebrew Bible is, to some degree, a collection of writings whose function was to help a displaced community hold on to their identity, their history, their cultural culture, and their beliefs. The collection of writings that make up the New Testament are naturally much later. Paul's letters are the earliest, around the 50s BC. The sayings of Jesus obviously predate this, but weren't formally assembled until what we call the Gospels uh, uh, until about 70 AD and some much later. I should at this point pay homage to the exceptional John Barton, the former Oriel and Lang professor of interpretation of the Holy Scripture at Oxford. He's also an Anglican priest, and his book, A History of the Bible, it's out in Penguin, is both immensely readable and a revelation. It chimes with and confirmed for me much of my own hunches. Now, it's possible that God inspired each of the dozens of writers to whom these texts are attributed. However, we don't know how that inspirational process worked and what dynamic there was between what God wanted to transmit and the words that each writer used. The style, the grammar, the literary uh, phrases in these writings, they vary enormously. Can all that be inerrant? If the Bible is inspired, then we have to assume that its portrayal of God is accurate. That raises questions. We may decide that the delightful story of Noah's Ark is some kind of allegory, not a genocidal action by God to destroy most of humanity. But what does something like this passage in Deuteronomy mean? When the Lord your God gives the town into your hand, you shall put all its males to the sword. You may, however, take as your booty the women, the children, the livestock, and everything else in the town, all its spoil. Hmm. Well, that would let Putin off the hook. We might think the God of the New Testament is nicer. 
It's all about love and forgiveness, isn't it? But then we get those texts saying that deviants, deviants deserve to die and that women should know their place and the unrepentant will be cast into a lake of fire for eternity. People sometimes say that the Bible is not is God's not sorry, that the Bible is God's word, but not God's words. Some of it was just for then and not just for now. In which case we have to ask precisely what is absolutely true now. My conclusion for the moment is that the Bible can't be the inspired word of God. One of my favourite New Yorker cartoons is of a priest in a pulpit saying, this morning we're going to cherry pick from Ecclesiastes. <laughs> we all do it. The church's relationship with the Bible is a history of cherry picking and interpretation. This brings me to my second main point about what the Bible isn't, and that is that the Bible doesn't tell us definitively what we ought to believe. Thing is, Christianity isn't actually in the Bible, not in any obvious way. John Barton talks about the Festival of Nine Lessons and Carols held every year at King's College, Cambridge. It begins with a bidding prayer which sums up a Christian view of the Bible in one sentence. Let us read and mark in Holy Scripture the tale of the living purposes of God from the first days of our disobedience unto the glorious redemption brought to us by this holy child. Ka-ching. We've inherited an overarching narrative of what Barton calls God's rescue mission of sin and salvation. The Old Testament starts with how sin came into the world with the disobedience of Adam and then describes how the people of Israel continued to slide away from the moral values God demanded and ends with the predictions of the coming saviour Christ. God's only son sent down to earth undoes Adam's sin and restores the human race through his death and resurrection. Jesus then leaves us, returning to his heavenly home, pr promising to come again in glory for the final judgment of the world. This <clears throat> story of salvation can be found in the Bible, but it ain't obvious. You could read the Bible from cover to cover without that becoming clear. It's the product of generations of thought and tradition. To be fair, that's been the common orthodox understanding of what Christianity is about since about the second century AD. But the church's reading of the Old Testament, for instance, is very different from the Jewish readings of their own scripture. For them, Adam is not a big figure. There is no fall, no original sin, so no redemption or no need for it. It's mostly to do with Abraham and the trials of his nation. Jews rarely see anything much to have much to say about the rare predictions of the Messiah. The last book of the Hebrew Bibles is Chronicles, charting the return of the Israelites to the promised land. It's about carrying on. It's about bread for the journey. What the church has done is impose a Christian doctrinal framework on the Old and New Testaments. You only have to read the creeds to see this. There's very little there, if you notice, about the life and teachings of Jesus, but a great deal about our beliefs about him and what he stands for. 
The church has built a fortress of belief, a rule of faith. As it happens, neither Paul nor three of the four Gospels mention the virgin birth or the Trinity is not outlined with any clarity. The Gospels do not say conclusively that Jesus was God or what his crucifixion means. There's no mention in these doctrinal summaries of Jesus' teaching or healing or what he was, which takes up the substance of Matthew, Mark and Luke. So what has become known as Christian doctrine is not something you or I could simply pick up from a normal reading of the Bible. It leans heavily on John's Gospel and Paul's letters, which are much more answer-focused. Now, that's not to say that it's untrue. Orthodox Christian belief isn't incompatible with the Bible, but there is no definitive representation of it in the text. So that's my second point. As Christians, we derive our beliefs from the Bible, but we do it by imposing a kind of grid reference on it. This isn't arbitrary, and these beliefs have been born of centuries of prayer and scholarship and lived faith. But it is an interpretation of what the Bible means, not what's there in clear sight. So, why is the Bible still my favourite book? Because it is, it's my favourite book in the world. The wonderful thing about the Bible is its very heady mixture of authors and styles and genres. As John Barton says, the extreme diversity of the material in the Bible is not to be reduced by extracting essential principles, but embraced as a celebration of variety. If you ask me, the Bible is our sacred text because it's been assembled faithfully over many centuries by a multitude of inquiring people who've taken life, love, faith, and doubt to heart. Sacred because God is present, resonant when we read it. As Psalm 19, which we read earlier, said, God is revealed in the world that we inhabit, but also in the words that we read. That doesn't privilege one over the other. They each use different vocabularies but it allows the Bible on occasion to be the word of God. Recognising this has been a liberation for me. What has changed for me is realising the Bible is not God's book which tells me who I am. No, it's our book which tells us what God might, could be like and how we might live. It sits alongside my lived experience and that of the whole family of humankind. The Bible is, above all, a storybook which narrates the lives of individuals and tribes and nations who are trying to work out why there's something rather than nothing about what we're here for. The narrative and poetic parts of the Bible don't tell us what to believe, but set up a world that we can enter imaginatively and have our perceptions changed. As I change, it changes too, beside me, even ahead of me. The Bible is lurid, livid, avid and vivid. I believe that this liberates the Bible to be what it actually is. The thing about stories 
is that they give us room to cheer the goodies and boo the baddies and recognize that even the heroes are flawed and scared and stupid just like us. They want to be good and they want to be loved. And at best, these characters are inspired by God, even if their books may not be. And they hope and sometimes believe in someone like Jesus of Nazareth that there's this sacred truth about what we could be, should be, transparent to a God who might help us see or walk again, even rise from the dead. The best book to read is the Bible. If you read it every day, it will help you on your way. Oh, the best book to read is the Bible. Thank you.